Shame the Thrones, your weekly recap for HBO's Minnesota quarterback uh, knee, uh, A Game of Thrones. My name is Doug, with me as always is Brian, and uh, that little dig is timely because, uh, as we know, half the year on Sundays is dedicated to uh, Game of Thrones, and the other half of the year for uh, douchebags uh, is dedicated to the NFL. So are you excited about the NFL this year, Brian? I am, and I'm not entirely sure why you're calling people who watch the NFL douchebags. I mean, come on, it's it's. Pretty... Are you trying to do a a uh, Chris? What's his name? Chris, Chris uh, Sims? Har- Hardwick and appeal to uh, <laughs> appeal to nerds. Yeah, I want. <laughs> we like to watch football and see how many home runs they can make. I like yeah, getting stuff ball. wrong. Sports it's ball. ironic. It's ironic. Yeah, but, yeah, people. exactly. If there's anything worse than uh, somebody who's really into sports, it's people who think they're too good for sports. Uh, let's yeah. face it. I, I wasn't a jock growing up. I don't know about you, um, but still. I, uh, oh, man. Remember when I do that perfect game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They still. You know what? I'll tell you what. I am actually a little bit guilty of in this podcast by making fun of you for watching Harry Potter. I understand that people enjoy it. It just seems like uh, there's a division between children's entertainment and adult entertainment, and that's why I've never ventured down the Harry Potter path. Although, based on what I know, I'm sure I'd probably enjoy it. I just don't have time for those giant books you know what i mean yeah and uh the only reason i really got into them is in college i had an awful awful job that required me to guard a parking lot full of 20 cars for some lawyers um that sounds fucking awesome (laughs) you just sit there and read books that's what i did i (laughs) i read all the books i never bothered to read growing up um and it was terrific including lord of the rings and all the harry potter books so you know i'm like 19 20 years old just sitting in a parking lot for uh eight hours a day um with nothing to do um, except for read books, it was great. But uh, it's a real shame that uh, toll booths are going automatic these days. Because I'd like to make a career change. Yeah, uh, it's too late. I think. I don't know. You could probably go to Alabama and do it. <laughs> I don't know somewhere a little further away from the coast or a city, and you'd be fine. You could probably yeah. find a uh, um, you know uh, garage or parking lot attendant job somewhere. All right. So um, yeah. So let's jump right in. This is. Season one, episode ten. Uh, what is it called? Fire and Blood. I believe Correct. That's right. And which actually, I think that's the Targaryen house motto or house uh, one of those slogans or I don't know, uh, whatever they. It's it, it's associated with the Targaryen. I thought they were the two main symptoms of herpes. I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> oh boy. Whatever. We're off to a fun note tonight. Yep. Sure. Are. You can tell we're recording on a uh, Saturday night at eight thirty. <laughs> yep. Because we yeah. have nothing better to do. Yeah, or somebody strong armed you into it. So uh, let's jump into the episode. We right, real quick. Uh, first impressions yes. of the show. Give me overall impressions. This is the season finale for episode, or season one, rather. Uh, so uh, this encapsulates, and we'll be doing basically a season one review, which is going to be about five minutes uh, extra. So if this podcast appears a little bit longer in your browser, you know why. Uh, but just. Based on this episode, how would you? Uh, what are your first impressions about how this wrapped up season one? Uh, I mean, I think just like the last episode, the ending was incredible. There was some uh, stumbles along the way. All in all, a good, a good episode of Game of Thrones. And again, with Game of Thrones, the good episodes are so good that you're holding it to a higher um, a, a, a standard than anything else on television. So this was still great. I, for the most part, I thought it was a good episode of Game of Thrones that went out with an incredible ending, ending just like the last one. 
I would agree. Uh, I would say it's on par with uh, the last episode, except for we didn't have a big shocking moment. I mean, there's the reveal at the end, but well, if you were if you were a non book reader, then you had no goddamn clue those dragons were coming. I mean, uh, that was huge. Yeah, I guess you. I, I I guess, but at the same time, I don't think it was as fundamentally earth shattering as uh, what you thought the protagonist was getting his head chopped off. So I would argue that it's to me reading even reading the book the first time, uh, Ned dying was the highlight of that um, experience. Fair enough. All right, so uh, yeah, overall I I agree with you. Um, think it was a solid episode. It was pretty damn good, but uh, not perfect. Um, and let's mm-hmm. get into it. So uh, yeah, so we opened to the shot of the bloody sword, which is kind of incredible. And one thing we didn't point out last week is that that sword is actually that was used to behead Ned was actually his family's sword. And we saw him use it to behead the uh, the Night's Watch deserter in the first episode, which is a fairly uh, cruel, uh, extra level of cruelty on top of him being beheaded and betrayed by after his uh, plea deal. It's yeah, pretty gruesome. I thought it was, I thought it was mm-hmm. pretty – you bring up a great point. Uh, don't mean to interrupt you, but um, – why they should have mentioned that it was ice. Uh, we find yeah. out later in the series uh, on the TV show that uh, they melted down ice to make two uh, Valyrian steel swords for the Lannisters because they have been missing theirs for a while now. Uh, they had mm-hmm. one at some point, but uh, they should have made they should have pointed out some quick name drop instead of having uh, you know mindless exposition with Tyrion in a tent or something. Um, yeah, it could have been easily Ed t- or Ned saying "my sword" or you right, know something yeah, pretty something quick. Really, yeah, really goofy like yeah. that. But at least just insert it. Um, but go ahead. But it was a it was a jarring opening. It was a good opening, I think. Yeah, because uh, the, they, the they picked up right, the, right where the episode uh, yes. prior uh, left off. So that's always great. Somebody picks up the head. It's chaos there. People are screaming. You see Sansa faint. People ye- faint. People yelling. Yorin uh, yells at Arya kind of pulls her off outside of into an alley and gives her a back alley haircut. Uh, which is kind wait, of wait, is that a euphemism? No, no, he was actually <laughs> cutting her hair in an alley. Oh, okay. I and, thought I gave yeah. a girl a back alley haircut before. No, no, that's a child and an adult man. Um, so he says that they're going north. And it was also one of these funny things where he had to, he had to disguise her. But if anybody turned around and saw this guy giving a girl a haircut with a knife in an alley, uh, it might have raised even more suspicions instead of they just went around the corner. I don't know. But, in Bravo streets, little kids beat the shit out of each other. No one seems to care. Very, so that, That's a little less uh, odd, I think, than a back alley haircut. But that's all that happened in King's Landing to open. So why don't you take us to Winterfell? All right. Before I do that, I just want to say that yes. uh, you're, you pointed out the thing where the um, they close up on the sword and then the background kind of blurry and out of focus is the head getting lift up. And I appreciate yes. that because that's enough to like – um, it was artfully done um, because they did that slow pan down the sword and the blood was uh, dripping off of it. Nice and gross. Uh, but they saved us, shielded us a little bit um, by having the head being picked up being somewhat out of focus. And they do this again. So I think it's uh, the director doing this. It must be. I don't know. And we didn't yeah, do the research. That, that's, that, that's a good way to, to, do, to do this and make it kind of grimy but not make it disgusting. Yeah, not and- make it. Yeah, pornographic in the grotesque violence, um, mm-hmm. and they do this again when the singer gets his tongue ripped out. That happens mm-hmm. while some somebody, I think it's either Joffrey, is in the foreground, nice and clear, and we just see uh, the blurry, out of focus image of Sir Ilan Payne holding a <laughs> a severed tongue out, yeah. which is what I I really appreciate it because it does several things. It saves on having your gross effects being crystal clear and perfect, 
Um, and it lets the uh, viewer fill in the blanks with their own imagination, which is always worse than um, what actually shows up on film. So uh, no I really appreciated that. So, All right, so we'll mm-hmm. go to Winterfell now, and Bran's still dreaming about the three-eyed raven, uh, and he's leading him down into the crypts. Uh, he wakes up, and he's walking with uh, Asha. Is that her name? Osha, right? Osha, it's Osha. Yeah. Osha. Yeah. So Osha slash Peeves from the Harry Potter uh, books or <laughs> movies is uh, carrying Bran on his back because Hodor is too afraid to go into the crypts. And uh, Osha is a little afraid as well. Um, you can tell that she's uh, maybe got some hot oil help because her hair is nearly is not nearly as disheveled as it was in the last uh, episode. Remarkably so. But, I mean, uh, it was enough to remark about Yeah, it. exactly. Did you notice yeah. it as well? Yes, because her hair was so bad in the last episode, it was distracting. This time, she just looked like a normal lady, or at least a normal uh, North rat, I guess. <laughs> we call them snow rats. Um, but yeah, uh, Bran says that he dreamed that his dad was down in the crypts last night, um, and he wants to investigate. So he uh, gets, uh, you know, McGonagall to go down there with him, and. Um, when they go down there, they find uh, where he dreamed his dad was, and it was empty except for, oh, scary moment. Shaggy Dog is there with Rickon, and Rickon, uh, turns out, had the same dream about his dad being in the crypts. Um, they ascend, and they meet Maester Lewin, who uh, we presumably informs him that his dad is dead. So that's it. A couple, but- a couple things about this scene. Is I think that this kind of hinted at the um, the level of kind of premonition or, or uh, dreams that turned out to be reality or grounded reality that all of these Starks had, and that both these brothers dreamt of their dad's death as he died, um, which doesn't really come across very well in the show, at least early, certainly Bran later, but Rickon never really has that. Well, I mean, it, if Bran mm-hmm. is the three-eyed raven and he's having these premonition dreams, I mean, can you imagine what Rickon's going to do with his life? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They also, some of the info dump stuff that happened here when they were discussing the crypts uh, alluded to the Tower of Joy, which I think was further expanded on in the books. Yep. Um, Yep, which I think this is a lot of what set up all the Tower of Joy uh, anticipation. And then the third thing is, who the fuck is watching these kids? Why is Rickon wandering around these crypts with with, a prisoner? no, well, well, Bran's down there with a prisoner. Rickon's just wandering around by himself with his dog or his his werewolf or uh, direwolf. It's yeah. kind of strange that these. Uh, I know they're lordlings, but it seems strange that they have the run of the castle such as they do. That there's not septas uh, hounding them as it seems like they did for the women. Or yeah, you're right. Uh, the only thing yeah, I can, the only excuse I would have would be the septa that the Starks had went south with uh, Ned and Sansa, and since the seven is not really a thing in the North. It's a, mm-hmm. a foreign religion. They probably didn't have a lot of septas and septums to uh, replace her with. Um, but, but still, yeah, Rickon seemed, like ne- seemed like a neglected child he is. throughout this entire series. Yeah, I, I, I would Absolutely. call the Department of Children and Families. Well, which this is why we question Catelyn Stark's um, decision to yes. go south uh, or to leave her, um, her boys, you know... Mm. Even even later when she's she did it now, which I guess is presumably fine, but she does it later to she stays away to like attend her dad's funeral, and you know, I don't know. We'll get to Catelyn's uh, emotional state later, but um, but that's, yeah, why that's, is she, why is she back in Winterfell at this point? Back where nope. 
you know, she belongs. Where children are. <laughs> where the children, where children are, where the stove is. Yeah. Yeah, and if uh, if uh, Sweet Robin's any indication, she should be breastfeeding these kids. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> comparatively, uh, Lysa is mother of the year compared to Catelyn, yes. I think. All right. All right. So next we go to the Star Camp, and Cat apparently received the news that Ned is dead. Um, then she wanders out into the woods, finds Rob is sad and beating up a tree, uh, tries to console him, uh, remarks that his sword is destroyed and Rob wants to kill them all. Like it's a Metallica album and uh, not much else to that scene. Yeah. I, I wrote here, she goes off uh, from the camp to have a nice cry in the woods. And I, I wrote down, this is why we can't have a woman president because soon as like her husband dies, she's going to all freak out and get all emotional. Um, and, and then Rob's off killing a tree um, and having a little temper tantrum as well. Uh, the what? first part of your take, if you could see how far back in my head my eyes rolled, <laughs> it would it would disturb you. Good. Uh, it was meant to be facetious. All right. So, um, but another thing is she does swear vengeance. She's like, we will save your sisters mm-hmm. first, and then we will kill them all. Uh, and this goes to a theme that I want to, uh, not only for this episode, for the um, which I'll come back later in the episode, but also for the story as a whole. People that engage in vengeance, uh, it doesn't work out well in almost every circumstance you can think of. Um, if somebody's on a personal vendetta, it just doesn't work out for them. Uh, you know, think about the Viper. Um, Arya's had a good run so far, but you know she's she's not gonna. It's not gonna end well. And I think that has more to do with uh, George R. R. Martin's overall philosophy of um, this wheel of violence. You know, violence beginning more violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not good for anybody. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I just want to point that out, and I'll come back later. So uh, then, if you there's nothing else, we'll go down to King's Landing, uh, and a singer is performing a song that is critical of the Lannisters and implicates Cersei in the death of Robert. Um, also that, you know, she took his balls or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> um, full of all sorts of fun little imagery and symbols, and... Uh, this is where Joffrey's reign of terror really begins in earnest. He yes. commands the singer's tongue to be ripped out. It was either his tongue or his fingers. Um, and while this is happening, he casually walks away and invites Sansa to go for a walk, but not to, you know, go into a garden or whatever. She she is led to her father's severed head on a spike on the wall, along with her septa and uh, presumably more of the northerners that are traitors. So Joffrey is just a complete piece of shit here. And um, he promises to give her brother Rob's head to her as a gift, and she decides to sass off to him, get a little sassy pants, and says, maybe he'll give me your head. Um, and for that, he's she's slapped by Marin Trant. Trant brings uh, the thunder. <laughs> he does bring the thunder. Against because, the child. <laughs> because it wouldn't be honorable for a king to strike his lady. So, yeah. and somebody else do it. And, uh, you know, this... <laughs> This goes where they didn't get into it, but there's a whipping boy in the book, um, and it's oh wow, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, Joffrey has a whipping boy. Tommen has a whipping boy. When they misbehave, the other little peasant kid gets whipped for it, um, which is so fucked up. But this is this is the the culture shock between the north and the south, where you know the northern thing is you know he who passes the sentence much should swing the sword. Um, obviously, they don't believe that shit in the Lannister household, so. 
so yeah, he has his guard slap around Sansa for her disobedience instead of doing it himself. Um, and Sansa flirts and entertains the idea of pushing Joffrey off the ledge before she is stopped by the Hound. Um, and the Hound gives her some, uh, you know, paternal advice, telling her to give him what he wants and save herself from some pain. Overall, this this scene is just designed to make you absolutely hate Joffrey, and I think it is pretty successful. Yeah, this I mean, this really cemented his transition into a tyrant, I think. And it, a couple of things that were interesting to me was ironic that uh, Ilan Payne was the one who cut out the tongue because obviously he had his tongue cut out before. Yeah. Um, the singer in the scene is credited as Marillion, which I think in the book was the name of the uh, was the name of the. Uh, the Bard, name of, I guess. Yeah, the, yeah, that accompanied Cat uh, and actually was involved in the murder of of um, Lysa. Uh, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, and in the I, show, I though, he was just, in the he was in the tavern when uh, Tyrion got abducted. Remember that because yeah. Sideburns told him to he'd rather have his I don't know ears violated or something. I don't know something more. And funny. I'm not sure if it's the same actual actor, but at least it was credited that way. I'm fairly certain it is. Yeah. And man, you know, when I watched this the first time, I remember specifically thinking, do it, Sansa, do it. And then yeah. the hound jumps in and it's kind of oddly, um, I don't know if it's paternalistic or at least it's odd that the hound has, at least it seems to provide her some good advice about how to avoid being injured. It also stops her from, I mean, if she pushed Joffrey off the thing, off the 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 walkway. I mean, she's dead. Um, yeah, but I so, still think it'd probably be worth it. So, so I but I don't think that the hound. Yes, I agree with you. And she probably should have done it. All things considered, and save herself but, the the emotional turmoil of her father being killed and being a uh, perpetual captive. I don't anything. Know. I mean, her future is worse than immediate death. At least to me, right? She has um, no agency. She has absolutely yeah. no control. Yes. Yes. Um, so. So it's uh, it's odd to me that, or it was odd at the time. I remember thinking, why did the Hound step in? Because I don't think he has any loyalty to the Lannisters other than the gold that they provide him. I think that bears out as the show goes. No, he wasn't uh, doing it to protect Joffrey. He was doing it to yeah. protect Sansa. Yes, and we had seen no really indication that he cared about Sansa. Right. And he also, despite his ruthlessness, or at least his his aura of ruthlessness, he does kind of step up both for uh, Arya and for Sansa as the series goes on, which is pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, he, uh, you know, I think he's a guy that... uh, He's a very nuanced character, despite the outward appearance of just being a guy who smashes. There you go. He's a very great character, which is why I like Jamie in the books, asterisk, not in the show. Oh, here we go. Oh, God. We We won't start a Doug rant just yet. I'll save it for later in the show. Uh, but yes, he is very uh, a conflicted character. He's just following orders for the most part until he can't anymore. But he, you know, some for some reason he identifies with Sansa. Uh, essentially, he is uh, ironically the only true knight in King's Landing. Like all these yeah. other people that are dubbed to be um, knights that protect the innocent, you know, like to protect and serve. He's the only one taking uh, that seriously, and he's not even a true knight. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the only way, reason that he he kind of protects them that way is because they're innocent. I mean, I, I think that he recognizes their innocence, which right. um, plays out later. But we, we don't need to go to that ra- down that rabbit hole too far. So next we go to Rob's camp, and there's a bunch of rah-rah uh, bullshit. 
Um, apparently, the, it, it, it's primarily uh, Great John Umber is leading this charge, and they want to annex the north from the rest of the kingdom. And the reason that's kind of given that the north uh, acceded to being part of this kingdom is that everyone was afraid of the dragons. Now that the dragons are dead, there's no reason for the north to be tied into the rest of the continent uh, because they're no longer scared of the of the the seat of power as right. it is. Yeah, they can yeah. hold off armies. Yes, yes. So uh, Great John Umber declares Rob king of the north, and um, this declares him the only one that he. He, only king that he recognizes. Very, it's a stirring scene, but um, I, I, because I already seen it before, I was kind of lost on me a little bit. I think on the rewatch. Um, so there is kind of an idea that if they propose that, I, I think that what they were thinking is that if they propose that they would end the war if the the South would leave the North alone. Um, and then ironically, yeah, I think that would have worked. I think if they would yeah. have just been like, "We're our own kingdom now. Fuck you guys. We're going home." And we have the North now. I think that would have been it. Um, I don't think the Lannisters would have pursued them. And if they would have, they probably would have gotten their fucking asses kicked. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that ever actually happened because before that becomes the Red Wedding happens. Um, right. But, but they're I, still pursuing this war on on the Lannisters. So they're not they're not retreating back home and just taking their newfound kingdom. Uh, yeah. Which which if they would have done that, this might have ended right here. But they are taking their own kingdom and they're still engaging in an active war uh, because of, because of the Stark girls. I mean, that's the, I mean, because of the Stark a- girls, because of, um, Catelyn's family's land and the Riverlands getting burned. So presumably if the, if the Riverlands join the North, that's a little bit harder to defend because the North is basically cut by the neck, um, which is why it's so, so easily defended because in order to go North with a, a land army, you have to go through the neck, which is a swampy area that divides the north and the south. Um, right. But the Riverlands is obviously on the other side. It's further south than that. So if that's part of their kingdom, quote-unquote, um, and I guess that's presumably what's happening, um, plus they're just raging the war. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, this could have been avoided. Uh, one thing I didn't want to say about this is this is very rousing. Uh, I still felt it a little bit, but not nearly as much as the uh, John King of the North uh, scene in season six. Yeah, but I want to say this should have been one of the ending scenes in the episode, because um, presumably Rob's the new fake protagonist. Um, you know, if you if you're going for misdirection, you would have had him this scene be like the one that precedes Danny scene, the uh, transition from Ned to Rob, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. and give you some like mm-hmm. hope that okay. Ned got his head cut off, but now Rob is the king of the north. Holy shit, what does it, this mean? This is going to be fucking son, good. His son, can, his son can make it all right. Right, and I feel mm-hmm. like the show dropped the ball by doing that because obviously we know in retrospect that Rob is not a protagonist. He's going to die. He's not. The main protagonists are John and Daenerys, uh, and that's who they chose to end the episode on, um, if you you know pay attention. It's John makes a huge decision, and so does Danny. Um, and we'll get more into that when we get to those scenes, but still they should have ended with this scene for Rob as further misdirection, make the audience think that this Rob's the new great white hope kind of deal. Sure. And then one other thing I noticed about the scene, it was kind of ironic that Theon was one of the first people to pledge his fealty to Rob, all things considered as the show went along. Yeah. I think it would have, uh, that would have held more weight too, if he would have pledged the, 
Um, if you would have mentioned the Iron Islands, um, you know, well, he like, has as, no control of the Iron Islands. I know, but, but if himself. he still would have like pledged yeah. them, if he would have said like, as heir to the Iron Islands, um, you know, I stand by you or something, invoke that to yeah. make his pledge a little bit more meaningful. Because you're no, right, we only go really get sister. what? <laughs> no, I've got to go finger my sister. Yep. Ugh. So we uh, we have. Uh, yeah, we have Great John declare. We have um, Theon declare, and then some other guy. I don't even know if he was named. Um, so it didn't no, hold I, a yeah, lot of know. weight. And I know they didn't announce, you know, all the minor lords in the north, but uh, it still it lacked, lacked a little bit of punch, especially because they cut right to another um, sequence in the same area, which we'll go to now. Right. Mm-hmm. So next, Cat uh, J- goes to see Jamie. Uh, Jamie tries to come on to her. There's, uh, it's not happening. So there's some back and forth between them. Uh, Jamie admits to pushing Bran out the window, but he won't say why. I didn't write down a whole lot about the scene because it was kind of rehashing things that we already knew about the ep- between these characters. Yeah, I wrote down that you know he's Jamie's just an absolute piece of shit, mentioning her taunting her dead husband in her face mm-hmm. right away. Um, Catelyn picks up a rock and smashes him in the head, and he takes it pretty well. I gotta tell you, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of dragons and fantasy here, but if you hit somebody with a, a big rock, and uh, even if you're a middle-aged woman, a mother of like five, you hit somebody in the head with the rock, they're gonna be pretty fucked up. <laughs> what if not- it's a balsa rock? <laughs> Is that like salt? Is that gonna break apart? No, no, this, that balsa wood was the thing that you made like paper, little paper airplanes out of. I have no idea. I didn't go to public yeah. school, so I don't know what that is. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I thought that, I don't know. <laughs> go ahead. Just keep going. <laughs> All right. So I wrote that there was just this dumb philosophical debate about the existence or lack thereof of God or gods, um, where Jamie's arguing, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, if there were gods, they would stop the injustice in the world. Why would there be injustice? And Kate counters with cat rather counters with uh, there's evil in the world and injustice because of men like you. And then we get the best line or the only real redeeming line of this. Uh, there are no men like me, only me. Um, so that gives you an insight into uh, Jamie's, you know, bankrupt moral uh, philosophy, I guess. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it's just a lot of back and forth, a lot of jibber jabber. Uh, I, did, I did. I said this scene. This scene was seemed like it was filler. I didn't really care. It didn't seem to do anything for the story. No. that's why I didn't really write anything down. No, and try to gloss over it. So, hey, once again, uh, it's setting Jamie up as a piece of shit, um, which is fine if you're going to redeem him. But they don't fucking redeem him. Okay, okay Doug Rant, uh, yep. put on hold. Uh, so let's go down to uh, King's Landing. Um, and Cersei has moved on from brother fucking to cousin fucking, which I think is a step in the right direction. At least she's getting further away uh, from the gene pool. Maybe she'll move on to like grandpa fucking or. Um, I think there are some states where that's legal. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Uh, but Cersei is reading a letter in silence, presumably letting her know of Jamie's capture because Tywin learns of it in the next scene. Um, and everybody finds about, out about these things, you know, at the same time. So. Cersei's deep in thought, and Lancel's just being obnoxious and running off of the mouth like a, you know, like a teenage boy that he is. Um, Cersei finally tells him to shut up and go away for her in bed. Um, see his sweet, slender ass. Yeah. Uh, there's not much happening in this scene as well. Just besides, It's very quick. 
was very it's, quick. It's very quick, and it really doesn't. It sets do off. Much. All, it sets up all the uh, later. Uh, all the later. Uh, what's the order? I lose my mind here. The uh, when when Kevin joins the um, or Lancel. Lancel oh, yeah, joins the uh, whatever it's called the um, crazy the church. Yeah, cra- yeah, the uh, yeah, crazy exactly. church. Yeah, not the sons so, of the harpy. Which I didn't even I didn't even remember this scene. It happened so quickly. Uh, so when we saw it later in in the in the series, I, it was referenced. I didn't even remember it. But so next we go to um, Tywin's executive board, and uh, apparently they also just received word that Jamie has been captured. And they discuss kind of how the Lannisters are in bad shape. They're facing the Baratheon brothers now. Jamie's captured. Rob has been smashing. And so all the uh, executive board is kind of throwing out ideas. Someone says that they should consider suing for peace, which is not possible because Rob's winning. Ned's dead. Well, I mean, what incentive they have at this point? And Tywin uh, gets upset, does the uh, line from um, from Ransom, give me back my son. <laughs> and then after that, he gets upset, feeds everyone the boot from the tent except Tyrion. And Tyrion Tywin recognizes that Tyrion's right. Um, that this is all chaos because of Joffrey. And I think this is one of the first times that Tyrion at least feels his father's recognizing how he's smart. So as part of Tywin's plan, Gregor's going to go smash. Tywin's go- going to go to Harrenhal. Yep. Tyrion's going to go be the hand of the king to bring the boy to heel and get the sister line. It's somewhat touching because it's kind of like, you're my son. You seem to have some good head on your shoulder, and now I'm going to give you the opportunity to prosper. But then he ends it with you not taking that whore to court. Plus, it's definitely grudgingly. It's just like he wouldn't be acknowledging Tyrion as his son if his other son wasn't captive and possibly going to get killed. Mm. Which makes Tywin just out to be a complete piece of shit. Yeah. So, and also, what uh, one of the things I, I would like you for you to explain. I think you know this. What what does it mean when they say we are going to sue for peace? Uh, sue for peace. I think just means like engage in peace talks. Uh, oh, okay. Or or um use leverage to get a peace instead of like you know I, I guess um uh sue for peace seems more aggressive than like be diplomatic and try to talk open lines of conversation it's more like i've got your you know we've got the the stark girls um let's sue let's have a peace or we'll kill them kind of more of a threat i don't know actually i'm looking at it online and it says suing for peace is usually initiated by the losing party in an attempt to stay off an unconditional surrender and may sometimes be favorable to the winning nation that's prosecuting a war to a complete or unconditional surrender may be costly Okay, so it's basically saying we surrender, and hey, we're going to shortcut it to the surrender so not everybody dies and you have to waste all these resources. Right, and that's actually very enlightening because yeah. uh, the way they set it up, yeah, the, the Lannisters are kind of fucked. And it makes you like think, you know, looking back in hindsight, the Lannisters really were fucked. They had half their army destroyed or dispersed by Rob, and the super uh, Baratheon brothers, if they wouldn't have fought amongst themselves and just ganged up on the Lannisters... They would have annihilated them. Um, yeah, and then if anybody got the um, the Martells on their side, on top of that, the Martells swept swept in from the south. I mean, they could have fucked everybody up. Even if the Martells just stayed out of it, the the yeah. Lannisters just fucked. So, um, 
you know, it's just tragic looking back on it, what could have been. But uh, that's that's very yeah. enlightening. Way to go uh, on the uh, Google search there. Um, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we're off to uh, the horsey camp, and Danny wakes up after giving birth to discover that her child did not survive. In fact, it was born a monster, and the Meiji, uh, who helped her deliver, revealed that uh, only death can pay for life, and her son's death was the cost of saving Drogo's life. Um, Danny demands to see Drogo, um, discovers that the majority of the Kalazar has left, and that Drogo is a true zombie, basically just a vegetable, uh, like the Terry Salvo case in the early 90s. Shavo. Shavo. Whatever, you fucking nerd. Uh, but basically, um, he was alive, but in a vegetative state, so obviously Danny feels cheated. Um, after direct questioning, the Meiji reveals that, uh, or admits that she did it all for vengeance, um, because, you know, the Dothraki are just terrible fucking human beings. They, you know, they had already raped her three times before Danny got to her. Uh, they burnt down her temple, um, they slaughtered her friends and family, um, you know, and there's this whole short, you know, pseudo philosophical debate about the nature of life. You know, I saved your life. Uh, this, that is what life is worth. And she points to Drogo. Um, so it's just a bunch of the Meiji turns out to be against her the whole time. So, you know, I guess the takeaway here is that, uh, believe the superstitions and the prejudices of your culture because the Dothraki was telling her the whole time not to trust her. She was a witch. So, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and this still is like, I, I don't, there's so many questions about this entire thing and I don't know that there are answers about it. Was this actually going to be a monster baby? To yeah, I wrote that myself. Let's talk it? about that. So was it going to be a monster baby regardless? Because I don't think any form of magic would be able to transform a child that right before it was born that severely that's just craziness like that's even more crazy than waking uh petrified or fossilized you say that, but we say we saw melisandre uh birth a shadow assassin baby yeah but she didn't uh, uh transform a normal baby into a shadow I mean, baby it, or anything like that doug that's that's no that, that whole thing is no crazier than imagining that a baby a regular baby morphs into a monster baby yeah i, I guess mean, it, with worms yeah. inside its flesh and it's you know leathery was, wings and the flesh falls off as soon as you touch it like it just seemed like a grotesquerie out of, you know, that's just a bridge too far. Um, it, it even also sounds made up. I, I mean, I don't even know if that part is true. I don't, right, and Jorah didn't see it. It doesn't sound yeah. like anybody saw it. She's just telling her this. So maybe the maybe board... Maybe that horse did or the other... Uh, maybe the, the baby was born just fine and the Meiji killed it. I don't know. We just don't know. Who knows? No, I know. And there's... The whole death pace for life thing is still very ambiguous and up until the the last talk between the witch and Danny in the scene, we still thought that the witch might have actually been trying to save Drogo. And the books make it ambiguous as well that the that yeah. she that the witch might have been trying to actually save her, but everybody else fucked it up for them. Right, so, and you know, and then you knows? could do you could do a triple double, uh, you know, covert agent and say that she knew she was trying to save them, but she knew that they wouldn't listen to her. So she was trying to kill everybody. Yeah, yeah, uh, by uh, being truthful, uh, if that makes sense. So in in the book, um, did did the book have this last talk between the witch and Danny? Uh, I think it did. The- it did have some confrontation where 
the I I remember distinctly. I don't remember anything else, but distinctly the Meiji admits, you know, they shouldn't have burnt my temple, and goes off about how the Dothraki are just terrible people. Their entire common economy is based yeah. on piratry, just like the Ironborn. No question. Yeah. So right, I mean, so- uh, but but really quick, they you get the whole ends justify the means speech about she's like, yeah. well, I stopped this this. You know, call from Stallion being born. The world. Yeah, he yes. would have mounted the world. He would have sacked a whole bunch of villages. He would have, you know, raped a whole bunch of women. He would have killed a whole bunch of innocent people. So he is not, quote unquote, innocent himself. Uh, you know, I don't know. You know, once again, we can, you know, it's, a, it's an age old debate. We're not going to get into it, but um, she's not wrong. She's just, you know. Yeah, I mean, right. maybe in Danny, I mean, in Danny's new uh, paradigm of rulership. It wouldn't have involved the uh, hideous woman being raped three times at least prior to Danny showing up. But yeah, but uh, she was okay with the the headless bodies of children and and the men of the village. Yeah. I mean, uh, who cares at that point? Great, yes. she's 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 drawing the line in the sand, saying no rape. Great, you know when yes. all the men are destroyed and it's just it's she is not the good guy in the story. And I'll repeat that later. So where do we go next? Yeah. So next we go to Night's Watch, and Jon Snow is about to abandon his post, as was hinted to the last episode. Uh, Sam's t- Sam tries to whine his way into keeping Jon to stay, and Jon decides not to. And apparently anyone can just walk out of the gates of Night's Watch. <laughs> yeah, there's nobody on the guard at night. Trolls right out, yeah. They're all looking so, north, I guess. Yeah. So not much of that scene, so I'll keep moving unless you had anything else to say no, about it. No, this is one of those weird uh, whip back and forth moments, which yes. I didn't appreciate. Too quick, too quick. Yeah, this whole this is where the scene, the uh, episode really lost points with me by whipping mm-hmm. back and forth between uh, these two scenes. And the next scene, which I'll go to, was really unnecessary, and I'll tell you why. So we go- well, actually and back up to to more to your last point. Some of these things could have just been put together and would have yeah. made it a cohesive narrative. If you put this together with with the scene where uh, where they the later scene where the rest of the knights uh, right. watch could have meet easily with them, and done pull that. Them back. Perfect. Yep. That, that's a better scene. Yep. You know, better scene instead of going back and forth. It just seems like it's uh, it's stretching things out. So yes. uh, yeah, so we go to the Lannister camp and Shay's helping Tyrion pack for his trip to King's Landing. And they discuss Tywin's command not to bring her along. And there's just a boring uh, few minutes, pointless conversation. Uh, and basically, he just decides to bring Shay to spite his father. This could have yes. easily been done at the tail end of the last scene as well, when Tywin like says, and one thing, don't bring that whore to court. And then they cut to Tyrion walking into a tent and going, we're going to King's Landing. Pack your things. <laughs> like <laughs> That would have been it. And you would have got the oh, gist. Yeah. You would have got the gist that Tyrion was like, I'm doing this to fuck my father because I don't, everybody bows to him, everybody listens to him. We didn't have to have him pontificate about that shit for two, three, five minutes, whatever the scene was. So it was a total waste of time. And it's also striking to me is Tyrion, it seems like, has had a lifetime of horrors, at least since his first wife. What, I don't think they've provided any foundation as to why he cares for Shay so much more than any other whore over a course of a few days. And, I, you know, this is the first time it seems like his father's providing him an opportunity to uh, to prove himself as as a, a Lannister, more or less. And so he decides, despite his, his father, I don't I don't know if I understand that, because you think if this was his first opportunity, Tyrion's smart enough to recognize, hey, 
if I don't fuck this up, maybe it leads to better things. You know? uh, yeah, I agree. So let me give you some backstory, at least what the book provides. So one thing is, and this is something in the show too, Tyrion wants a monogamous relationship with a whore. He doesn't want to have like one whore one night and then another whore the next night. And he even tells Shay the first time he meets her, as long as you're with me, you will be with only me. So he wants to engage in these long-term relationships with these prostitutes. That's number one. Number two, we don't get this in the show at all, but Tywin's father was a pushover. Was a pushover, and uh, his stepmother was widely considered a prostitute who was only uh, in love with his father to get his money. Uh, okay. So, And he branded her a whore and made her, ironically, walk through the streets of King's Landing when he exiled her naked. Much like what happens to his own daughter, Cersei. I'm, I, yeah, I'm starting to remember that now. Remember yeah. this? All right. So mm-hmm. yeah. Tywin has a dis, discre- discreet uh, hatred of prostitutes, whether they're actual prostitutes or, you know, uh, interpreted prostitutes like uh, his stepmother. Uh, so Tywin hates prostitutes, which is even more uh, when he we find out later in season four that he's sleeping with Shay uh, just shows how hypocritical he is. Um, <laughs> you know, just how terrible of a person or human being he is because he's giving uh, Tyrion so much shit for uh, keeping a prostitute and shaming the family, and he's engaging in the same thing. So, I, I mean, I understand that the explanation that you provided regarding Tyrion wanting a prostitute who's just faithful to him, but I don't know how there's not a tens of thousands more in King's Landing that would do the same for him. So um, I think this goes back to the the book or even the TV show explanation that his wife, who he was truly in love with, he found out, quote unquote, that she was a whore. So he's linking being in love with the woman, his first love. I guess. With being uh, in love with a whore. It's just tenuous. Right. And it, I, it, I, it's I tenuous and it doesn't really come through on the show at all. So I agree with you. Yeah. So next we go to back to uh, Night's Watch, and we're actually the, tr- the the stampede out of Night's Watch, and somehow Sam has managed to go and tell the story to all of the uh, John's up. brothers. They've all gotten on their horses, managed to ca- track uh, catch up to him. Despite I'm, I'm assuming John's a pretty good rider, they uh, convince him to return to King's Watch by repeating the vows, also handing him a long claw. Uh, didn't didn't. Th- this is one of these scenes in this episode where I just kind of rolled my eyes, and I don't know if you need to say a whole lot more about it. Yeah, it just seems cheesy and not really yeah. uh, earned. Um, <laughs> in a show that's very uh, is exciting and earnest and or at least action packed, or th- this scene would just seemed out of place. And this whole John leaving Night's Watch to go to go uh, back to help Rob, it all seemed. Uh, it just seemed like a. I like a plot device more than more than right. authentic to the story. I don't. I don't. I mean, maybe John would, but I don't know. It just. I don't. I don't know. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy the whole I, thing. I agree with you. It seems very flimsy. I. I think it would have been helped with was if they would have told him then we're going north to find to look for your uncle. Does he mean nothing to you? And then it would have been a similar appeal. Yeah, you're appealing to uh, John's duty and honor to his family just in another way. Um, it doesn't seem like these guys have enough shared experience that they've bonded. All they've done is gone through boot camp together. Uh, Danny, you know, I'm sorry, John faced a, a white, you know, a zombie, but he did that all by himself. It wasn't like he's been to war with these guys and they have such influence over him. I mean, he he 
rightfully just plows through Sam in the scene before because he's like, Sam, I like you. You're a good guy, but I've known you for three weeks, and my fucking brother, who I've lived with my whole life, needs me. He needs me by his side. My father's been killed. Um, get the fuck out of my way, which is the rightful response. So I bought that. I just didn't buy the fact that his quote-unquote new friends could have turned him around um no, I mean, Grant and Pip and these guys almost killed him a few a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Yeah, I guess. Yep. I, I think they're getting along now, but I don't know. So, uh, long story points. short. Yeah. So next we move on to uh, Danny bathing Cal Drogo, who's apparently an invalid, still in a catatonic state. Uh, mumble some moon and stars kind of nonsense. I didn't really pay too much attention to it. And then. Then it was kind of shocking that she smothers him. And I remember specifically watching this scene, too, and going, holy shit, I can't believe she's actually doing this. Because I guess she realizes he's never going to recover right. at this point uh, based on what the witch had to say. But this was still a very shocking moment for me the first time I watched the series. I guess. Uh, trying to think back the first time I read this, it made sense to me. So I think we spent a lot more time in the book with Danny and Drogo and Drogo in this catatonic state where she gave up on him over a course of a couple of days. Uh, Not just show, a couple of minutes. Yeah. Well, they, they did do like a cut where she like fell asleep and it was like later that night. Um, but it was pretty strong. But at the same time, this, you know, basically just comes down to what are your thoughts in euthanasia? Uh, <laughs> and specifically when the person uh, who's... In the catastonic state, we don't know what their wishes very well might have been. Speaking of Terry Shivo, yeah, um, yeah, and actually, you know what? I actually wanted to ask you this: what I would have thought that when the rest of Cal Drogo's Cal Asar left, what would they have murdered everyone who didn't go with them? I think they would have. I think they would have definitely murdered Drogo because, uh, you know, I guess and they would say he's dying. To go back. Yeah, go and force Danny to go back to Vase Dothrak. Why wouldn't they do it then? Yeah, straight right. murder. Yeah, and some of the like some of the blood riders or whatever blood brothers or whatever the hell some of those guys actually hung around with Danny afterward. Yeah, one of the guys. I don't in particular. know how that makes any sense whatsoever based on what we know about the uh, Dothraki culture. But well, you know. okay, so the, in the book it's explained that the blood riders ride with mm-hmm. the cow until he dies, like they're okay. in it for life. So if if Cal Drogo never really died, they would stick around. Gotcha. But once again, this isn't explained in the TV show, and this is a TV show review. So yes, there there's a problem there. Um, but yeah, I mean, you would think that Drogo, if he's not going to get any better, would probably want to die. But you know, that's assuming what his wishes would be. We don't know. Um, he doesn't have a, a DNR. He didn't sign a DNR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't he have did, a DNR. He doesn't have power. He doesn't have power of attorney. We don't. We don't know. Durable power of attorney. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, uh, she murdered a human being <laughs> in this in this uh, tent. Murder. Yeah. All right. So then uh, we go off to King's Landing. Uh, Pycelle, after banging the shit out of Roz, is boring her with a oh. history lesson. Or Roz. I, I will say that this is their first attempt at sex position humor. Humor sex position, I guess, because this is just an overlong scene that goes on way too long. Where Pycelle's just rambling, we get to see um, Roz naked, um, and he just washing her business, washing her business, talking about he's talking about the old kings that he served. The thing about kings, is. yeah, and I guess this was supposed to be humorous. I didn't find it amusing, let alone funny. Uh, but you know. 
after Roz leaves, he peps up and, and basically it's it's revealed that he's not as decrepit and old as he's letting on. He's just another actor. He's just another snake in the grass in King's Landing and everybody's full of shit. Um, and this is um, made clear when we go to the next scene later in King's Landing where Varys and Littlefinger are waiting for the king to show up for a small council meeting, I guess. And they mention their mutual respect for each other. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We should back up. Let's finish okay. out the scene because I think there's more to this scene than 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 you just mentioned. Okay. Go so for first, it. I think Roz is there specifically because she is pumping Grandmaster Pycelle for information, either on behalf of Varys or Littlefinger. More than likely, Littlefinger. Yeah. Well, well, the, we think we thought it was, but then as a later scene in the series reveals, we think that Littlefinger provided Roz to Joffrey to as his first kill. Which Well, yeah, so and I once again, Roz was, is a show invention, so I could give a shit about her, so you could absolutely be right, and I wouldn't know. Screw you, Roz is awesome. Roz is not awesome. Listeners, yes, yes. write in. Um, ashamedofthrones at gmail.com. Is Roz awesome? Is she not? Is she hot? Is she not? Let us know. She is hot. But so the irony of this is that she went and banged this old man with his old man balls to get information. And so he's kind of rope a doping her, pretending to be this doddering old man. Yeah. Uh, which but is kind of interesting. I don't think that's because he knows that she's uh, a puppet or replying to anybody. I think that's just his mode of behavior with anybody. You can tell yes. that when he when he acts decrepit just leaving the, the room. Yes. Um, and just then, in case somebody's then, in the hallway. Then the other layer of this is this guy is uh, an actor, and I think he thinks he's a big shit actor. So I've read a story about how he was just being Grand Meister Pizel, and he harassed uh, DNB into allowing him to be like a character that had a, a something. He was hiding something that he was actually a lot more lucid and a lot more on top of things than he was actually actually. It's alluded to in the book that he's having sex with prostitutes. So yeah, well, no, 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 no. no he specific. This guy complained about. He's an actor, and he complained about not having like a bigger role. So he convinced them to do this kind of thing, and they did uh, just abandoned it because it was kind of really stupid. And yeah, so this and that's is the thing is, things. I think what yeah. they're what they're looking at is how does this either move the plot or entertain people? Um, it doesn't. And it doesn't do it doesn't do either of those oh. things. And once again, so this, so this it was a sex position scene time. because we had tits in it, and that's and I think that's what that's how the D and D's try to make it work, and it just didn't work. But there was no exposition in it. There wasn't. Well, well he was talking about serving the kings, like the Mad King Ares, and how like there's one king and then the other. So it's fleshing out the backstory of the you know once again just repeating information over and over again to get it into the viewer's head that. First we had the Ares Targaryen, then yeah, he was yes. the Mad King, and then we have Robert Baratheon, now we have Joffrey. Are you guys keeping up with me? Kind of like just really in your face nonsense. Yeah. But I think it was definitely just too much, um, and it was the low point of the episode, if I want to say. Yeah, uh, yeah, because this, this guy's vanity is primarily drove this uh, half of the scene. But uh, the other question I have for you is, are uh, Grand Meisters, are they supposed to be celibate, or are they allowed to bang around? I'm pretty sure they're supposed to be celibate. They're definitely, it's like the Night's Watch where their vows probably say they're not allowed to take wives because all this shit, just like the, I mean, not to get too uh, real world, but just like the priesthood, all the celibacy is not really because of virtue, it's because of uh, inheritance. They didn't want, um, you know, they don't want a grand maester 
uh, you know, handing everything over to his son, all his, you know, wealth and earnings, just like they didn't want, um, you know, the Night's Watch to have children and be conflicted. So it's more about, I think, procreation rather than just sex. I think the sex is just a okay. cover, but I, I really think they are supposed to be celibate for those reasons. Um, gotcha. And I, 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 once again, I'm an uninformed book reader. That's the whole premise of this, uh, this uh, podcast, but uh, that's the feeling I get. And that's the recall I have. Okay, good deal. So take us to the throne room. Doug. All right, so we're in the throne room waiting for Joffrey to show up, and Varys and Littlefinger are uh, mentioning their mutual respect for each other, and they're basically just verbally jousting. Uh, once again, another scene that just goes on a little bit too long, I want to say, but Varys does accurately guess at Littlefinger's ultimate ambition of sitting on the Iron Throne. He says, now, when you imagine yourself sitting on there, is everybody simpering? Um, you know, and Littlefinger comes back with some nonsense, but still... Um, we learned they later. They don't have to have Ed's the simper or something like that. Yeah. This was a. I think you're giving it a little bit short shrift. I, this was a really good back and forth. Because it wasn't every time terrible. A little finger, every time Littlefinger would make a terrible eunuch joke, Varys would say something back enough that was funny enough that, like, okay, it's not terrible yet. Like, it kept like mentioning, why are you thinking of my gash? Or like these weird phrases. I, I right. thought this do you, was do you sit in fear of my gash? I will see that Vari shined more than Littlefinger in this yes. uh, exchange, and I think it's because Vari's is just a better actor. Um, uh, but that's just me. Uh, I also like to think I think that Varys is Varys. I don't I don't know how you say exactly. I think he I think Varys is smarter. Uh, I think just think that Littlefinger is probably more ambitious. Um, you know, if Varys is a hundred percent, Littlefinger's ninety percent. Sure. But if they're if ambition. Little fingers at a hundred. Varys is at, you know, twenty five percent or something. If you know what I mean. I, I get your, I catch your uh, meeting, uh, and I'll give it to you. But uh, th- that's all we get out of this scene. Um, and there's nothing but I do, else. I do think, yeah, I do think that it, you mentioned the mutual admiration. I do think that they, this I scene think that did, was genuine. Yeah, I really do. I do think that they realize how successful the other one is at what they are specifically doing because they're doing yeah. different things. I mean, Littlefinger it has climbed the ladder to um, an extent that uh, maybe nobody else has. Right. At the same time, Varys is, uh, has this network of spies and is and also position by so many kings. Yep. That, that, and, and Littlefinger specifically says, nobody likes you. <laughs> and you're still this powerful, you know? Yeah, and I, I think it it's does. It's almost like if, Trump. <laughs> don't get political. Oh, sorry. God damn it. It's almost like Hillary Clinton. It's almost like Hillary Clinton. There you go. Way to offer the fair and balanced analysis that the media does. All right. So uh, I will say if I'm going to give them a little bit of uh, uh, help here, I will say that having uh, Picel reveal himself as an actor kind of leads into this scene where Varys and Littlefinger are both admitting that they're full of shit, but they admire each other for it. Um, So I think that kind of flows. And nobody admires Pycelle. Nobody. Absolutely yeah. nobody. Especially not Roz. She seemed thoroughly unimpressed. Oh, um, God. <laughs> the things that woman's been through. Yeah. All right. So we're still in King's Landing. We still haven't left. Um, but we're now joined uh, with Arya, infor- or Arya and Yorin informing her that she must pretend to be a boy, not only to hide from the Lannister guards and everybody else, but also from the new recruits of the Night's Watch, which are all horrible thieves, rapists, and basically pieces of shit. Um, Arya is called a gutter rat by two bullying Night's Watch recruits. <laughs> 
Um, one fat one, one of which one, is of course hot pie, hot pie, the fat one, and then uh, some skinny kid. And eventually, Arya turns on him and stands up for herself and says she killed one fat boy before. One fat boy before she might as well kill another one. And then he bumps into Gendry, the King Robert's bastard that we saw earlier in the season. And he's also joined the Night's Watch. And he also threatens and shames the fat boy. Meanwhile, the skinny Nordic blonde kid uh, avoids all sorts of discipline. So the moral of the story here is fat people are just horrible. <laughs> I think Hot Pie was the aggressor for the most part. No, I think they were equal aggressors. Uh, and he was probably the big bad saying that he kicked the boy to death. But um, Well, and actually, I want to ask you about this. Hot Pie said that he kicked a boy to the death by kicking him in the balls, <laughs> the balls and he just fell to pieces. I <laughs> yeah, think that's so. similar to what the what it is in the books too. Um he just has <laughs> a ridiculous story about killing someone and he, he actually admits that it was full of shit later in the um yeah. season or the story. Well, a hot pie later when he becomes a little more comfortable and isn't uh I mean at this point you would assume that hot pie is either headed to jail or imminent death or whatever. I mean so he's probably on edge later he seems like a decent dude yeah and you but, learn i mean it's just it's just posturing because he is yeah. a fucking street rat and you know on the street you either uh you know represent or you get stuck i guess i don't know i didn't grow so up on I, the street i grew up in a country club sure you did <laughs> pasco county <laughs> so uh so a couple questions i had here is First, do you have any idea as to what Yoren's long-term plan is with Arya, other than taking her north? I think his his goal, uh, at least in the books from what I recall, is he's going, it's basically like two birds with zone. He's still going to do his job, um, and that's what he should do. And that, you know, just like if you're going to commit a crime, you don't, you know, not show up to work the next day. He's going to do his job, which is to collect the recruits and go back to the wall. But on the way back to the wall, he's going to stop at Winterfell and go, hey, this is your street rat. Oh, okay, gotcha. There you go. I thought I thought he might be taking her to John, but that you that taking her to to Winterfell makes more sense. Yeah, it's it's uh, explicitly mm-hmm. said in the books, if not oh, okay. on the show. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so then I also wondered why Gendry was being sent to the Wall. His explanation of the show is because my master was sick of me, which I don't know. That I have a theory. I don't know. Go ahead. Okay, so in uh, to begin with. He's Robert's bastard, and I don't know. We don't know that Robert knew about him, but we know mm-hmm. that John Aaron knew about him. So John Aaron was visiting him and checking up on him, and presumably giving the hope. Maybe this is my theory: giving the armor money to employ him as an apprentice. Apprentice. Okay. And then when John Aaron died, Ned took over that for a little bit, and now that Ned's dead, there's nobody to send the alimony checks to the armor. Okay, that makes sense. Does that make that's uh, th- a theory though, because it's not backed up by anything in the show. No, my thought was that um, Ned might have communicated to the uh, to his former boss, get him out of there if I die. But I don't. Again, there's been no explanation of that whatsoever. Yeah, the only thing Ned said yeah. to his boss was, if there ever comes a day he wants to swing a sword instead of an, a hammer, send him my way. That's yeah. all, presumably that that Ned said. But Ned also seemed like. When he visited the uh, child, I remember when he went to a whorehouse and there was a baby that was yeah. Robert's bastard. He said the child will want for nothing. Made me seem like if he was going to take care of that bastard, he would be taking care of all of them. Yeah. Um, 
I guess. It's yeah. just, once again, it's just my theory, so who knows. Sure. Also interesting how Gendry recognized that Arya's sword was Castle Ford Steel. Kind of lets it go. I think he knows right away there's something else going on with her, but he doesn't press her on it. And he's the first one to recognize that she's Arya's a female. Right. I mean, he <laughs> is Robert yeah. Baratheon's son, so he's smart as a whip, just like his dad. Yeah. A couple other things. Uh, Ari, why are they, why is, why is Yoren calling her Ari? It's like. Uh, yeah, you would think, he, <laughs> I guess it's the first name that, he's not good at improv. He's just like, we had a friend who, uh, uh, basically, let me see if I can hide his identity, but basically he snuck into a hotel pool with his friends and they were making a ruckus, and when the uh, hotel staff came and said, uh, "What? what's your name and what room are you in? He said, like, uh, room two or three, it's uh, Johnston, and his real name was Johnson. So this is the kind of, like, not cool under pressure thought process of people who are not good at improv. I think yes. it's just like, your name's Aria, we're going to call you Ari. Yeah, terrible. It is terrible. It, and Anything the else? Th- hot pie, yeah. hot cake, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the other thing I th- thought was funny is, uh, or not funny, uh, at least uh, poignant, is that uh, we've talked n- a number of times about Arya as a psychopath. Oh, and yeah. at 11 years old, when she's threatened, she starts talk- trash talking to Hot Pie. <laughs> I've killed fat boys. I like killing fat boys. I mean, she's a fucking maniac. She I can't is even a psychopath. It. You're yeah. like, after, after, now that I'm going back and watching uh, the show again, it's she just clear clues. that she's just yeah. a fucking psychopath from the beginning. Yeah. I think we mentioned this earlier in the uh, season recaps, but yeah. And it's great. It's great. It's really great to see these seeds. Uh, <laughs> it's entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So right. uh, next we go to the wall, and the Lord Commander is apparently sick of ham. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and he wants beer instead. Yeah. For, yeah, for breakfast. Right. Mind they you. drink it, but I think um, in the Middle Ages they they and I know this is not uh, this analogous. Is, this is historically accurate. Yeah. yeah, well, they 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 drank very watered down beer because it was uh, safer than drinking the water. Right, because the alcohol killed the uh, you know germs and yeah. whatever crap. Yep, floating in water. So uh, the Lord Commander knows of John's moonlight ride. He apparently knows of lots of shenanigans going on there. Um, apparently the. The knights, uh, the people of the Night's Watch, they go to Molestown for the whores. He's perfectly willing to let it go as long as John's recommitted. And uh, I, I think that he's willing to let this kind of stuff go a little bit because he knows that John will be a great leader once he's able to tame John and, and get rid of John. Uh, I mean, John just is so reactionary to any, anything that happens, any stimuli. He's kind of an idiot, but he's also very smart and a great warrior. So if you can get him to calm down, he'll be he'll be he'll be a good leader of the uh, Night's Watch eventually. Right. So then the Lord Commander goes into a speech about how villages are being wiped. There's blue-eyed corpses. While they are gathering, what's more important: the battle between these dummies down south, or uh, the battle of men versus whatever? Which I think is one of the main main. Uh, the, the, I mean, the ultimate conflict in the show, which really isn't apparent in this first season other than the first episode. And so uh, basically the the Westeros War is stupid. And then he does the speech of we're riding the next day to find out what is happening. We're going to find Benjamin. It's inspirational. And so John seems right. to be. Um, and it ends he, with him asking John. So I'm just going to ask you once. Are you with us? 
or not. Yeah. And it's yeah. once again, it, it's ending the episode and ending the season with one of our two protagonists saying, making a decision to stick with the Night's Watch. So once again, uh, and let's come... Fire, what, fire and ice? Fire right, and ice? absolutely, but let's, but let's even contrast that further by saying John is making a critical decision here to be honorable and to do his duty that's outside of himself, whereas Danny has just, it will just, in the next scene, vow revenge and fire and blood. Um, right. So uh, the more I go through, the more I, you know, it's not my theory, but the more I think about it and the more I examine it, uh, Danny is definitely going to be a bad guy when this all shakes out, I think. She could redeem herself, but she is definitely engaging in vengeance, which we've decided is just not a um, a nice thing to be uh, engaged in in the show or the books. So uh, I really think she's the doppelganger. She's the... Uh, you know, Joker to John's Batman. Um, well, and I, I can I do a spoiler alert here? Can I do go, a spoiler? Go for alert? it. Yeah. Oh wait. By the way, uh, there will be spoilers in this episode for things that uh, happen later in the season and possibly the books. If you don't want to know what happens next season, turn it off for about two minutes here. <laughs> yeah, and um, then come back. Seriously. Spoil yeah. Else. There's a there's a website called Watchers on the Wall, which I don't even. They gather information. And then somehow those uh, stupid Hello Giggles articles will put up like the next major spoiler comes out. And I'll click on it because even though I hate it, because every other article from article in quotation marks from Hello Giggles is Ariel Winter has marble colored leggings and we want to buy a thousand pairs or shit like that. Okay, so the last like, I don't know, two minutes of what you've been talking about has just gone over my head. Continue. Okay. So anyways, there is a organization called Watchers on the Wall that watches the filming of Game of Thrones. And what they're saying is that Cersei and Euron team up against uh, against Danny and the Martells and like everybody else. Uh, that makes sense because what else is Euron going to do? He's right. He's so pretty but, impotent so in the show. I think uh, it's it's in other words, it, the Greyjoys and 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 uh, Danny are going to fight against Cersei and Euron. Yeah, which seems like they should be able to crush him pretty quickly, like even with Euron. Um, uh, but so that would that would push Danny though to being a good guy because if Danny's with the with the Greyjoys that we like, right? But I could just see her being bad later. I mean, she is she 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 has a slave army, even though she's quote unquote freed them. Um, she's with the Martells, which are awful people, uh, at least the controlling Martells, the, uh, sand skanks. Um, True. she has Dothraki. She's got all the Dothraki Kalasar. We've discussed how fucking terrible these people are. Um, I just don't think she's going to be, uh, heralded as a f- liberator. She's going to be a conqueror. Um, and she's going to enforce her will with violence. Um, I, I don't, I don't agree, but uh, well, that's just my theory. We'll see how it plays yeah. out. You guys Fair will enough. be part of this living uh, drama that'll play out between uh, Brian and Doug. Feel, oh, yeah. um, feel the love. Okay, so if there's <laughs> nothing else to say about John's yeah. ending here, uh, we'll end the uh, episode with one more trip to Horsey Camp. And Danny has ha- has had a pyre built for Drogo uh, after she murdered him against his wishes. <laughs> uh, 
She has placed. She has the uh, petrified dragon's head displayed uh, placed next to his dead body. In the books, they make a real uh, point to point out that one egg is by his head, one egg is under his arm next to his heart, the other egg is on his crotch, um, and each you know each dragon has like the personality based on the chakra that they're closest to or whatever. But in okay, the show, so you tell me he had a dick egg. He had a dick egg. One of the okay, one of the dragons is the personification of his dick. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, um, that's it's, it's spelled out in the books that way. So regardless, uh, after the eggs are put on there, uh, Mormont Junior objects to what she's going to do, and he's saying, "I will not watch you burn yourself and commit suicide um, to join your call, uh, Drogo." And she's like, "You'll do as I tell you." bitch and um then danny gives a speech freeing the remaining slaves because i imagine that some of the uh uh, the dothraki that were there were the slaves captured from uh wherever the the lamb people were taken from the uh miri mars door miri mazdor's people or various other slaves she frees them and everybody else all the rest of calzar says you want to go go ahead who gives a shit you guys are free uh, so she says, those of you who are going to stay, though, um, I promise you that our enemies will die screaming. You still think this is the good guy? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, she also has the witch tied uh, lashed to the pyre, uh, and Danny has the pyre set aflame. Um, and the pyre is uh, arranged in this weird like uh, theta symbol or concentric circle pattern. Regardless, there's like a fuse to it. The whole thing goes up, um, but as soon as the fire starts to burn in earnest and the witch starts screaming for her life, Danny decides to go into the fire. Um, later, it cuts to, I don't know, the next morning. Somehow, she's Danny's discovered in the ashes um, with three adorable little baby dragons clinging to her. Um, one is covering her hoo-ha, but her tatas are out for the world to see. <laughs> and the uh, and the baby dragons screech uh, and uh, in a forbidding you know tone as if there's going to be a lot of cute and adorable ventures yet to come, and the show ends. So my question is: Is this all like instinct that gets her to perform this blood sacrifice? I have no clue. I don't think the show has any clue. I don't remember the books have any, any clue. Um, this actually, this scene, or this show, this episode had the uh, behind the scenes available. And uh, Benny often uh, dipshit says that they indicate that she knows that this will happen, but they don't give any of the who, what, where, why, when, how. They, they just say, like, she knows if she goes in there, the transition's going to happen, but. Why, I mean, why, if she knew this was going to happen, why did she wait until now? I mean, there was yeah. so it was this was um, this scene really was completely baseless. And I think that they relied on the shock and awe of it to carry Cover it, up. which. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think it did, because I remember watching this scene the first time and going, what the fuck? There's fucking dragons. I had no clue. That there's these goddamn <laughs> dragons. I, I remember just being blown away by this. And I, I've mentioned it a number of times that we we started streaming well after the start of I think into the third or fourth season, so we were able to turn it on again the next episode on. And I remember a lot of Sunday nights, you know, like going at like 
10:45 going well fuck if we watch another one we we'll be in sleep by midnight <laughs> you know yeah and this is one of them that we really were excited about i i think uh, yeah because also- because i mean this is think of it like we left magic behind like uh, uh you yeah. know and the listeners might be able to correct us with their you know constant feedback which we love uh but can you remember magic playing a role in the season so far besides that first episode with the white walkers yeah i mean i wouldn't even say it's magic it's a supernatural uh but no can you, i don't all right, so can you uh, think of an instance besides no, uh, brand having these weird dreams but those are those were just dreams there was nothing to yeah uh, but they're there somewhat some... premi- they're premonitions so that's i would i would lump that into superstitious magic but those were things you you didn't have to chalk up to the supernatural. Right, they could be. This you, you know, have to chalk up the yeah, supernatural. Yeah, they could be coincidence yeah. or whatever. Yes, I agree yeah. with you. Also, also striking to me was and Doug as a, uh, a husband of a, a woman who recently had a baby. Not for, you know the last last two years. I gotta say, Danny really dropped that baby weight pretty quickly. Yeah, like she she <laughs> had. A, a, I got. I can't lie. She had. A couple chubby cheeks. Your cheeks were a little bit puffed up, <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, and she was walking no problem. <laughs> yeah, doing splits. Yeah, and she had this uh, the calisar that she has now. It seems like it's just a bunch of hobos and a couple of dudes who know th- what they're doing. Yeah, in, so the, really- in the book they make it clear that it's all the the old people and yeah. uh, you know. Actually, you the- kind of saw cripples during an earlier part of the scene. Like guys standing on uh, crooked sticks. And so this scene actually began what is approximately 40 episodes of the same story cycle for Danny. Yeah, over- it's pretty awful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's just expand upon that for the uh, listener. Um, just illustri- I'm sure they know what you mean, but just, illus- just, just say it explicitly. Uh, Danny falls down. She says a lot of things about her titles. <laughs> She has given power without actually earning it. Yep. And that says her titles again. I mean, that's it, more or less. Yep. Did she really earn it here besides having the will to burn a woman alive and stick her dragons and walk into a fire? Like, Who knows? I, I, Who knows? I don't know. Uh, I, I would lean against no. But um, the, the lack of explanation behind it in the show is frustrating. And I think they just rely on spectacle to get around that. Well, that even in the book, there's no real explanation. Yeah. Like, she wasn't, like, you know, Targaryens knew how to birth eggs in the past, but that, that information has been lost. I mean, dragons have been extinct for over 100 or so years at this point. Um, she's, had those, she's had those goddamn eggs forever. Well, no, she no, no she's had before. those eggs since she got married to Cal Drogo, well, I know. which okay, presumably so would be a year. year. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine pregnant. if she had... had knew how to do this and birth those eggs, and then she had Cal Drogo behind her. I mean, imagine Cal Drogo wrecking shit with these with these dragons behind him. Jesus. Yeah, it would have been awful. She would have been a bad guy, which she still is. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's let's wrap it up. All right, so um, let's rate this episode. Uh, I'm going to give it a um, 3.5, I guess. So it was north of average. It was a, a good, solid episode. But, yeah, there were just some problems that made it i don't know not shine yeah that's a 3.5 on the game of thrones scale which again is higher than almost every right series. and once again yeah. uh you know we shame this show all the time but we love it or else we wouldn't be doing a podcast yeah. hopefully you and, fucking idiots re- realize that so and i'll give that a gas station cheesesteak all 
right. Uh, you know, I've had a gas station cheesesteak that was uh, pretty good despite itself. Um, so I'm going to interpret that as like a three. No, that's a 3.5. There's one at the end of my road. Does oh. pretty good. Got a little griddle there. Okay. Back well, in the sandwich. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so that's pretty good. Um, uh, so let's talk about very quickly um, this first season as a whole. This is going to be a recap. We're not going to bore you with uh, a season one recap show because honestly, I think that would kill me to do it. What about you? Oh, no, yeah. Murder, suicide. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is going to be our season one wrap up as well. Uh, so welcome to season one wrap up. Uh, I will say that my impressions are, I think this was very solid. Like I got excited after watching this season. Um, even as a book reader, uh, I thought it was a fairly faithful, um, adaptation. Um, some of the sexual violence as we discussed, especially in the first couple episodes with Danny being raped was just unnecessary and dumb. Um, and it's part of the reason why I have a love hate relationship with the show, uh, but overall, I think this is a very solid season. Um, and if I were to rank all the seasons, where would this fall? That's a great question you might ask. Thanks for asking it, uh, Brian. Uh, I would say this is my third favorite season. All right. I, I, I'm not sure. I think the last season, season six, was probably my favorite. Uh, this one's definitely in contention for it. Uh, I, I think every single episode in this season was solid, for the most part. There were duds. As there's later seasons had real duds uh, that yeah. we'll get to eventually. Season two, yeah, this, be rough. This was solid from top to bottom, and I think it is, as you alluded to, it's largely because D and D were just simply ad- adapting what George R. R. Martin had already done, and George R. R. Martin also we know in the early seasons had a, a larger hand in the writing of the episodes. So um, this is this was great. This was a lot of fun. All right, it's good TV, right? Yeah, I don't know what what's more fun than this show. There's nothing that's more fun than I this show. Know. This is better. This is much better it's than so Walking certain. Dead. I will say, like, yes, you know, I uh, said so for the longest time, The Walking Dead was the best show on TV about zombies because it was the only show on TV for, about zombies for years. Um, you know, and the you know, and it seems like the. As much as Game of Thrones retreads certain plot lines, like Danny uh, being down and out, and then spouting her titles and the or titles and then rising, uh, fucking Walking Dead does that shit all the time. You know they find you know a safe haven and you know things turn to shit and violence is the answer. No violence not the answer. Everything goes to peace and they try to Carl. settle down again. How many times do you hear Carl? No, I don't know. Uh, this show is it's it's great. It's great uh, TV. So. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know what else we can say about uh, this fucking TV show besides we're gonna continue <laughs> with this to recap. watch and enjoy it. It's great. Yeah, no, no it is be, great. I, so I give it shit, and sometimes it's a responsibility. But if we didn't make so much money from doing this podcast, I don't think I'd keep up with it. No, the hell you wouldn't. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun, buddy. All right, so uh, on, that's buddy. it. Season uh, yep. one recap done in the books. How do you feel? In the books i feel good i feel, I'm, uh, good. I feel energized i'm ready to get to the next season and uh i think next season if i remember correctly there's some bigger duds so yeah it's uh there's a lot of duds us. in the next season but uh <laughs> there was enough to keep me watching so i'm sure it'll be fine okay so uh for brian my name is doug thank you for listening uh please review and rate us on itunes it does help um we check the listenership we have 
hundreds of listeners somehow. Tens of tens. Tens of tens of dozens. <laughs> uh, but if tens uh, of tens. if you guys would write us a review, even if it's not a good review, I'm sure it would help somehow. But uh, please help us out, um, and we'll keep churning out this bullshit every week. So uh, if there's nothing else, see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.